Recently, I came across this picture, and I was undone. And um, it began a journey of the Holy Spirit uh, giving a bit of a different paradigm to an old message of saying, I want to be welcome to rise up and to be crowned inside of my people. Where I am Lord of every cell of their body. I'm Lord of every thought, every emotion, everything of the past and the present and the future. Just as this stream of water just rises up in this crown that looks so life-giving. He says, that's who I want to be. I want to be the water that rises and has the lordship in them to bring the word. All throughout scripture, there's a marriage of the word and the spirit. When Jesus came, he said, I, I just say the word that my father tells me to say. Acts 10, 38, and Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit, did great works and healed everyone that was oppressed in their body and their mind. And all throughout, Jesus was the word and the spirit and the word and the spirit. And when he was asked to describe the spirit in John 7, he says, well, it's, it's like a river of living water in you. And then he talks about it again in Revelation, says it's really the river of life in you. That the Holy Spirit can't be described as a person. He's, he's so majestic and so loving and so thoughtful and so patient. He said the best image is he's water and, and he can get into every nook and cranny of you. Because he loves you. And he doesn't change. It's always been word and spirit, word and spirit, word and spirit. In Genesis 1, the father had a dream for taking all kinds of darkness and breathing life and new form and a new season. And it was the word that was spoken. And it was the spirit hovering over to make it so always the marriage of the word and the spirit. Even when Hagar was out in a desert and she didn't know what to do, she finds herself by a fountain of water and the angel comes with a word from the father. And the children of Israel, after they honored the blood and they're standing at the Red Sea and it looks like their enemies from outside, those external enemies in the world and in the spirit realm were going to prevail and that they were going to die. And, and God told Moses, just lift up your staff. And he lifted up the word and the Holy Spirit divided the Red Sea. And he made a way for them to escape all their enemies that dwelt on the outside of them made a way for them to escape that Pharaoh spirit that's still in the world that makes you feel like 
you're not as good as, or you have to meet this, or you should do this. It's performance, it's this. It's that controlling, intimidating spirit, that Pharaoh spirit that's still in the world. But the Holy Spirit shut, shut the gate so that when they went on the other side of the Red Sea, all their external enemies ended. But it didn't take but 72 hours before they realized the biggest enemy was not those on the outside. It wasn't powers and principalities and spirits and governments and evil and bondage and slavery, but that the most powerful enemies were the ones inside their hearts. Because even though cloud by day, fire by night, even though there was manna from heaven and even though there was so much love all around them, because they were still so wounded within, they couldn't see the love. And God was showering, just showering them with miracles, and they couldn't see it because the enemies inside of them were so big. And when the enemies are big enough inside of you, and you've voiced them enough, and you've given them enough power, they distort your reality. They began talking about Egypt as if it was a paradise of, oh, we could just go back and eat this and eat this. And yet, they never said, let's go back and get beaten and oppressed and put in chains and never have freedom. Their offense and their inability to see the love of God right in front of their face distorted their reality. And so even though God was pouring miracle after miracle, they couldn't see it. But the father never left them, and he still kept this marriage of word and water, word and spirit. Moses would speak to the rock, and his word and the water would come. The people sang the words to the ground, and water came up. All throughout Scripture, there's a marriage. If there's a word and then there's the water or the Holy Spirit. Naaman came to the prophet with leprosy, and he gave him a word and said, now just go down seven times in the Jordan, and you'll be healed. And he had the word and even the location of the water prophetic of the Holy Spirit. And if he would just do it, he would be healed. And at first he was like, no, that doesn't make sense. That's offensive. And when he finally got beyond his enemies within that thought God should do it this way, he was healed. And Romans 8, 26 and following says that the Holy Spirit has this stirring deep down inside of him of groaning and interceding because he loves us and he just wants us to get to the good will of God for our lives. And that that just stirs and rises. It's, it's like the prophetic of the pool of Siloam where there was rumblings deep underneath the pool and every now and then the rumblings would come to the top and the first one with faith to dive in in agreement got healed. And it was like this prophetic picture of the Holy Spirit with groanings and groanings and when it rose up, if you just agree, there's a healing that comes suddenly. And tonight he wants a marriage 
of the word and the water for you. Let me give an illustration. All throughout scripture, many metaphors are used for our life. One of them is that we have land. That in the spirit realm, if you can imagine it, when God whispers your spirit into being, he gives you a parcel of land in the kingdom that he marks out that this is your land. And it's all of the good things and all of the dreams and all of the courage and the patience and the forgiveness and the power and all the blessings that he wants to give you in every realm. He says, I already have this marked out for you, this broad, spacious place. But then what happens is as we're growing up, we don't really know that. But the enemy does. And so he starts trespassing into our land. And into the land of our life, he puts first these tents upon tents upon tents of generational curses. Oh, everybody in this family will have heart issues. Everybody in this family will have diabetes. Oh, and this one will have mental illness, and everyone in this family will have sexual abuse. Oh, and this one will have anger, and this one will have control needs. And he's trying to fill up your land before you wake up. And you're old enough to say, no, my land belongs to Jesus. And then he wounds us with different things in life to try to fill up our land so that we will, oh, I'm not going to trust people. i got to be in control. I'm not. Oh, I'm, oh, God is this. The, he tries to fill up our land. Because he knows that what is in the Father's heart for you is exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all you could ask or imagine, but that it's real. It's real. And then we come to Christ, and we come to Christ spirit to spirit, you see. This is important to understand. When we accept Christ, we accept Christ into our spirit. And we meet the Holy Spirit spirit to spirit, okay? And then, as Paul says, when he says, work out your salvation, he's not talking work. The image in the Greek is from the depths of your spirit. Work it out into your mind, emotions, your will, into your soul, and then into your physical body. What Paul is saying is there's a journey. Take what's in your spirit, let it possess your soul, and let it bring divine health in your body. John understood this because in 3 John, he says, I pray that you will prosper and be in divine health according to your soul prosperity. That as your soul grows and is more healed and prospers, your health gets better. 
because we're one body, soul, spirit with him. Everybody with me so far? So then when we accept Jesus, usually some part of our land is just stirred with his love and his fatherhood, and we're coming alive. But then the other parts of us aren't. And so sometimes it's puzzling when we can feel the glory or we can be anointed or love flows here. But then in this situation, anger erupts or the wall is up or the doubts are here or we think, what's wrong with me? I'm not as, do you know what I mean? It creates a civil war in the land of our soul. Everybody with me okay? In one moment you feel like your thoughts are, are peaceful and beautiful. And the next you feel like, where did that come from? Or you feel like your thoughts are being bombarded and, and, and you have a civil war going on in the land of who you are. Now, that's why some Christians in their spirit can be believers and experience even the anointing of God and be used by God, but they can also still have demons because your whole land's not been taken yet. And the demons don't automatically vacate. They didn't in Christ's time and in the early church, and they don't today. And so that's how you can have someone that can be so sweet and so peaceful and then at home be fill in the blank. Or they can be upright and do integrity, and then you're shocked because you find out that believer embezzled funds. Or they did this. Or they quietly struggle with anything in their mind and heart. Is it their fault? Of course not. Of course not. It's just we, as a body, with every generation, we have to come back and teach anew how to take the land of who you are. And that it's not a shaming thing. We all have to do it. Because Paul said, yes, it's true everyone has sinned. It's also true we've all fallen short of the glory. And that means that it wasn't intentional, that we do not intentionally keep an area of our life that's not redeemed. We don't intentionally hold on to offense and grudges or whatever, whatever. Do you know what I'm trying to say? We've, we've got part of our land. And year by year, we see ourselves growing in Christ with our heart and beautiful and, and loving and more redeeming. And, and that's Jesus working us, changing our personalities. But then we have these pockets of our personality where there's legalism or generational curses affecting our personality, even our life, even our health. And so it's important to get that image because in heaven, 
in Revelations 5, all of heaven is celebrating that you were purchased by the blood. And many of you have heard me say some of these things, but purchase means he owns you. In other words, when in my spirit to spirit I said, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, this whole parcel of my land, including everything, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, designed for me before I hit my mama's womb, all of a sudden, Jesus owns all that now, not me. But as long as I keep giving agreement to the old stuff on my land, from family scripts or hurts or wounds, paradigms, you name it, okay? Everybody fill in your own blank. He can't own that land. And so sometimes we have to take a pause on our spiritual journey and say, you know what, Jesus? No shame, no condemnation. Here is the real pivot of heaven coming to earth. I got places in my land that you don't own. They robbed me of peace. They robbed me of confidence. They robbed me of joy. They robbed me of never judging other people. You fill in the blank. Robs my health. It robs, I see patterns. My mother went through this. Her grandmother, da-da, da-da-da-da. I've got stuff on my land that doesn't measure up to what's in the word. Everybody still with me? And so it's a point of intentionality of simply saying, Jesus, I know in my spirit you own the land of my soul, my body. You own the land of all my dreams. You own the land of my finances, my relationships, everything that is everything that is everything. You own the land, and you want to redeem everything in my life. But I have given, if you will, squatter's rights to some of these attitudes and some of these patterns, I didn't know that I don't have to arm wrestle this stuff. I can just intentionally give you the land of my life and say, you're the landlord, not me. You evict it. Whether it's deep healing that I need in my heart, whether I need you to reroute my brain, whether I need you to heal something physically, whether I need you to pull every ounce of religion and pride and need to know out of me, insecurity, it doesn't matter what the name is. All folks have it because we've all grown up in an ungodly world. Okay? Everybody still good with me? And so he comes. If you can picture it, the word says... I have purchased you. I purchased your whole land with my blood. Everything from even before when you came out your mama's womb, and I purchased everything of the enemy that's ever come at you from any source. I purchased it. 
I own it now. But it's in your land. I own that land. But I'm not going to move in and really activate that deep uprooting and healing unless you invite me. Everybody still with me? He said, so I have spoken the word, light be to your land. And now the spirit hovers over you and is waiting for you to say, I give you the land of my life. Take it all. And then he hovers over you as surely as he hovered over the waters in Genesis 1. And he begins, if you will, a flood in your land to cleanse. And if you've seen in the natural, we've all seen it where floods are so torrential, it just picks up houses and moves them. It picks up cars. It uproots trees. And that's inviting the Holy Spirit be crowned in the, in the land of me. Be the Lord of the land of me. Rise up. And it's so intriguing. Your body in the natural is mostly water. All throughout scripture, it refers to your heart and your soul as, the, as water. Your spirit is referred to as water. He's water. He's saying, I can come into every place in your body, your soul, and your spirit, and I can bring the fullness of redemption, and I can clear your land. Everybody still with me? Probably the best summary would be if you walk through Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, he's talking about how Jesus goes to the cross and by his blood, he's purchased everything in your life. And he wants to take everything that's ever hurt you, wounded you, discouraged you, regret, sin, you name it, he wants to gather it and pull it off. And then we have Isaiah 55 where he says, I promise you, my word will never come back empty. It will always accomplish what it's sent out to do. And then in Isaiah 61, he's continuing. He's going, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And he begins to list all kinds of things that invade our land from brokenness to captivity. He says, I can get rid of that. I can clear your land of that. I can clear your land of that. And then we get to Isaiah 62. Listen to the beauty of this. And you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of the Lord. You will no longer call yourself forsaken and your land desolate, but you shall be called my delight, and your land shall be called married to me. Married. Ephesians 5, Jesus Christ washes us with the water and the word so that we may be pure and spotless with him. We can meet him, bridegroom to bride, right? So when I see this paradigm 
And I realized, you know what? I've been struggling with things that are really trespassing on the land of my life. They don't have a right to harass me. And it's not that I got to arm wrestle some kind of warfare. It's not I got to do this or I got to. But anything that is not righteousness, peace, and joy in me, which is my inheritance in the kingdom, it, it, does, it has no right on my land because I've been purchased. And Jesus said, if I can wash you and everything in your body, everything in your life, if you can just let me, invite me to wash you with the word and the water, I can so cleanse your land that who you are now and what's going on in your life now reflects my word over you. Not some of my word over you and some of this stuff that can spin us. Everybody with me? He says, invite me to own your land because I really want to be married to you. I want to be married to the land of your life where I have been given the rightful ownership. You have said, yes, activate your ownership of the land of my life. Totally. He said, now I can come in and with the water and the word begin uprooting, cleansing, and washing because I want you to see me for who I am. Because as long as any part of our land is wounds and religion or whatever, we don't see the beauty of Jesus in his fullness. Everybody's still okay? Is it making any sense? And so tonight, we're just going to step into worship, dear ones, and invite the Spirit of God to stir within you. Invite yourself to freedom, because he's already invited you. It's like at the pool of Siloam. When the water rose up, it was who could believe for freedom and jump in? The invitation was there. But it was prophetic that most people said, oh, I can't do that. I can't get there. And, and he's going, they still do that to me, Susan. I'm inviting my people to be whole. Isn't that what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica? He can sanctify you wholly, body, soul, and spirit. He says, they still don't understand. I can do wholeness, not on a superficial level, but to the core. Because I purchased your land. And if you give me a right to truly inhabit your land, body, soul, spirit, relationships, I will rise up like that water. And I will be crowned inside of you and not my river of life my word will begin flowing to your body and your soul your spirit your mind and you will be a new species a new creation we are called a new creation when we come to him spirit to spirit 
But if we're honest, most believers, we are not new creation. We still carry a lot of our personality we had before Jesus. A lot of quirks, a lot of stuff, a lot of... That's no one's fault. But when he proclaimed we would be a new species, he had that intention that the land of your life would reflect only Father's love over you. And the imprint of this ungodly world would be eradicated. And you would be a light. And you would be a wonder. A sign and a wonder. Just by the wholeness of who you are. And in that wholeness, the way we love one another. So, Father, tonight you've, you've poured out your heart to your children. And you've, you've pulled back the veil and, and just said, this was my original intent. My son has purchased you. But we have never pressured you and we never will. You have co-labored beautifully with me. As Paul says in Philippians, you have lived up to the fullness of the maturity and the knowledge that you have. But tonight, I'm inviting you. Surrender ownership of everything and receive that I have purchased you and give me permission to activate my ownership. Give me permission to flood your life with the living water of my spirit. And know that my ownership is safe, the Lord says. For I love you more than you love yourself. And so, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I agree with you. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I give you agreement in the earth that it doesn't matter the source, it doesn't matter the name, it doesn't matter who the squatter is, the trespasser is on people's land tonight. The lease ends tonight. Let the word and the water flood. And let your lordship be crowned in the fullness and for your glory.